If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 20, where we'll read from several different passages today, so it might be easiest just to follow along in the bulletin, which is where it's printed for you. We're closing out our series today on work, on vocation. This is our last week. It got interrupted for a few weeks, but we finally got back to the end of it. And last time I preached, I said, uh, maybe, maybe or maybe not, we might finish the series or we might not. We might go back to the Gospel of Mark. And um, there, was, there was a crying in the streets. Uh, as I heard from you guys afterwards, I heard, uh, no, finish out the series, do it. Um, so we're going to do that today. And of course, it is very appropriate to finish out by talking about Sabbath, about rest. Rest and work are the pattern that God gives us in Scripture, and so there's really no way to talk about work without talking about rest, and so we're going to do that this morning. First, I want to read for us from the Scriptures. You can follow along with me in your bulletin. Let's read this together. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." One Sabbath, he, that is Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any? But the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. This is the word of the Lord. I'm one of those people uh, that never turns off their phone. Uh, I'm one of those people that tech people hate. Now, what I mean by that is this. I don't, I'm not actually available all the time, all right? So don't get the idea that I, I'm, I'm always available. I use airplane mode very frequently. Uh, do not disturb. That's what it's on right now because I'm preaching. Uh, so it's not like I, I'm reachable all the time, but the, the number of times that I actually turn my phone off, like shut it down completely, I'm one of those people that pretty much never does that unless there's a problem. And then it's the first thing that I do. Unless there's a problem. And so, you know, your screen starts acting weird. If you have a smartphone, you know, like you, you push on it and it's not working, and you hit it harder, like that's going to make a difference. And, um, and you know, you're, you're, if you're frustrated... Uh, also, sometimes, have you ever seen this? This is really weird when you start seeing your battery counting down like really quickly, like 20%, 19%, 18%, and you're like, it's, it's dying in my arms. You know, uh, and, and you know then that you've got to shut it down. At least that's what I've learned. You have, to, you have to power it off, and then you turn it back on, and it's magically fixed. 
Uh, one time it was so bad, something was, was messing up so bad that I, I powered it down and, and it didn't work. And so I took it into the Apple store and they said, oh, no, no, you can't just do a regular shutdown for that. You got to do the full shutdown, right? And I said, oh, how do you do the full shutdown? And so you, you grab the button on the side and the button on the front and hold those down together and then you power it down and it's a full shutdown. We know this. When there's a problem, you shut it off. If you're in the tech industry, you know this. When somebody calls you and you work in the tech side of a business, what do you always tell people to do first? Reboot your machine, right? I worked at a, at a, a newspaper in, in college and we'd always have these troubles with the, with the computers and I would call the tech department and, uh, and you know, I would say, you know, it's, it's doing this and this and this and they would say, you know, have you, have you tried rebooting it? And I'd be like, no, I haven't. I'll call you back. And I would never call them back because it worked every single time. Call the internet company when your internet stops working. What are they going to tell you to do first? Unplug it for 30 seconds and then magically it will work again. And this is not just true of the way that we think about technology. I'm, I'm going to argue this morning that this is the way that we think about our lives. That We have two modes, all of us, and this is not a wrong thing. This is the way that God designed us to be. We have an engaged mode and we have a shutdown mode. And that's the way it's supposed to be. But the problem is, we don't know how to regulate those. We go to extremes before we do what we need to do. And for some of us, the extreme is too much work. We're like our phones. We're on all the time. And the only time that we shut off is when there's a problem. We work and we work and we work. And then that's our extreme. And then we collapse into rest. And that becomes our pattern. We say, I'll turn it off when I have to. Or maybe you've heard... Unhealthy people say this, I'll sleep when I die. So some of us are addicted to work and we collapse into rest. And that collapse looks different for different people. I think most of us know we're in engaged mode, we're working, we're working, we're working, and then we collapse into Netflix and cereal. Pretty sure I spoke to a few hearts there, my own included. Or worse, we collapse into things that we can take, inject, swallow, drink, that will shut us off completely. Because we've worked so much and then we kind of collapse into that rest. I've met quite a few people that are on the other side of that extreme as well. Some folks are kind of addicted to rest. <laughs> And you love to sleep, and you love to do nothing, and you, you kind of have to collapse into work, right? Um, you have to kind of gear yourself up, and when you have to kind of approach your day, it's like, man, you know, I have to, like, do that. I have to go to work. I have to watch my kids. And so there's this, it's like, ugh, I'd rather be resting, and then you, you kind of collapse into work. So some of us have a default of work, and then we're forced to rest, and some of us have a default of rest, and we're forced to work. But there's kind of a thread that runs through all of that, and the thread is overwhelm. Because I think that's what is the description of what most of us feel, whether we're in that first camp or the second camp. It's the feeling that 
I have so much going on. I don't know what to do. I just, I, I'm on and then I'm off and I'm overwhelmed with all the things that I have. And in, it's, it's funny, it's not that funny, but we have easier lives than ever. Of course, in many ways, technology has made our lives very easy in some ways. And yet the overwhelm meter sends, tends to keep going up. We keep getting overwhelmed by the amount of work that we have even mentally and physically or our desire for rest. And so we live at the extremes of those things and we don't regulate towards a pattern, which is what I think that the scripture teaches us to do. And in fact, gives us the pattern that we're supposed to do. This is the biblical pattern for work and rest. Work six days, Sabbath on the seventh. Work six days, Sabbath on the seventh. That's the pattern given to us in Exodus and many other places. This is the pattern that Israel followed throughout their history. They worked six days and they rested on the seventh. Now, when we say working six days, of course, we're not just meaning eight hours a day like our, uh, our American economy has dictated to us is what work should be at our J-O-B jobs. Um, although many of us do that and have to do that. What I'm talking about work is the full biblical picture that we've been talking about. You remember the second part of this series, we've been talking about how now that we have a foundation of the dignity of work and uh, the frustrations that we have at work and the, the motivation, the gospel motivation to work, that was part one. And then we said the best thing for you to do then, given that, given what Jesus has done for you, is for you to identify your callings. Identify your callings, whether it's to be a husband, father, a wife, mother, to be at this particular job. You identify what those callings are, and then secondly, you take responsibility for them. And when you take responsibility for them, you not only live into the pattern of Scripture, but you actually have a more meaningful life. We talked about that last time. And then today, we're talking about resting from those responsibilities. So when we work six days, it means... Not that the hours themselves are regulated towards some kind of way, but the pattern is this. Six days, I am thinking about, I'm believing that this day is for taking responsibility for the callings that God has given me, including work and including other things. I'm engaged towards those things. And then there's a day when I don't take responsibility for everything and I rest. The Bible calls it the Sabbath. So we're going to talk about that today as we close out this series. And the two questions that we're going to ask is this, why Sabbath? Why should we Sabbath? And then secondly, how to Sabbath? So why should we Sabbath first? I want to give you three reasons why we should Sabbath, why we should rest on the seventh day. The first one is this, Sabbath is explicitly commanded by God. Exodus chapter 20 says this, Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. This is a quote in Exodus 20 from the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 tell us the Ten Commandments of God. And he commands the people to remember the Sabbath. It's a command to them. Now it's interesting that he says remember, right? That's the only command that starts out with remember. It doesn't say, remember, you shall not murder. Like, you probably know, right, not to do that. But this one he says, remember. Remember, he draws attention to the fact that unlike maybe some of the other commands, this is the one that's going to lead to the most neglect. 
Remember. Observe the Sabbath. We can kind of see the practicality of the other commands, but when it comes to this one, sometimes we're like, well, I probably don't really need that. But that is the command, and it's a simple command. The command is to work six days and to not work the other day. But beneath that command is is even a deeper principle than that. What he's saying to the people of God here and what he's saying to us this morning is, remember, you don't own your time. You don't own time. You live in a world that God created. And he set it up to to be a certain way. He directs your day. He directs your your hour, your minute, your, your day, your life. This is his world. You are a critter. Now, a dignified one, one that has the image of God, but you are made in his image, but you are a created thing. And so he gives you what is the best way to live into this world as a command. Now, I know some of you probably are thinking oh, there's a theological hang up here. I'm not sure that, that this command uh, is for Christians now. This was given to Israel. And so I'm not really sure that, that I should follow this command. Isn't it true that when Jesus came, you know, we don't really have the Sabbath anymore, or at least we practice it in a different way. And you're on the right track there, right? Because we don't practice the Sabbath in exactly the same way that Israel did. Jesus has a lot to say to people who make up a lot of rules about following the Sabbath to a T, and that's one of his favorite things to talk to the Pharisees about and make them angry. Um, And of course, we, we read the passage from Mark that we preached on just just uh, nine or ten weeks ago, I think, maybe, maybe a little longer than that, about Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath. And so we can't dive too deep into it this morning, but you can always go back and reference that to see how is our understanding of the law. Because in that sermon I did talk about how we understand the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and how those things interact. But here, note this, even though Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, he kept the Sabbath. Now the particulars of what that meant and that culture and all those things were not kept by Jesus, and he, you know, he often encourages disciples to pluck the, the grains on, on Sabbath to be fed. But he kept the Sabbath himself. And there remains the Sabbath for the people of God. This is part of his moral law. We can get into this a little bit later. But this is the thing that's above time because he instituted this as part of his character Remember the Sabbath day. Six days shall work and rest on the seventh. It remains. Why does it remain? And that's really the second reason why we should keep the Sabbath. It remains because Sabbath is built into the world. Notice how he argues in Exodus 20. He says you should remember the Sabbath. Six days you shall work. On the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Verse 11. For, this is the reason why, In six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. See, he roots this keeping of one day and seven. He ties it to the creation of the world. This is what God did at the beginning. It's rooted in creation. And here's a biblical principle if you want to understand the scriptures even more. If something is in creation, it stands forever. It's the way that God set up 
the world. And there's this kind of feeling in us that, you know, maybe sometimes we can do things a little better than God. We can do things a little better than the way that he set it up. I don't really need to take the Sabbath. I don't really need to rest right now. You know, maybe the laws of God and kind of who he is, those are kind of more like uh, Pirate's Code. You remember from Pirates of the Caribbean, those are guidelines, right? Not necessarily laws or code. And we fight this reality, and that's exactly what Israel did. Israel walked away from this all the time. They didn't follow God's command. And in fact, the scripture tells us that they, they went into exile for 70 years in Babylon, in part because God wanted the land to receive the Sabbaths that he had told them to observe. In 2 Chronicles 36, it says this, he took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword. So some, there were some survivors when Babylon came in and took the people away. And they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So the Lord gets his Sabbath. Sabbath, in a sense, is inevitable. It's built into the world. It's what he designed, this kind of rest. You know, there's been ways that we can try to circumvent this. Sometimes we try to make more than 24 hours in the day. We think, I can do more than that. Uh, Actually, France at one time instituted a 10-day work week, you know, because seven days is awkward, right? Wouldn't it be better if there was a 10-day work week? I mean, even if we had the same amount of rest, right, let's just do it in 10 days rather than 7 because you can't divide by 7 by very many things. I mean, 10 makes much more sense, doesn't it? It was a disaster. People overworked, suing, you know, suing the nation. It was horrible. There's a wisdom built into the 6 and then the 1 because it's the way that God set up the world. This is, why 7? Why 7? I don't know. But, you know, you've played the why game before, right? When you, when you say why, and then you ask why again, and then you ask why again, and the idea is you keep asking why until you get at the root cause. And anything in God's word, and especially the Sabbath, something built into creation, the why game always ends with because God. Let's play it. You should take a day off. Why? Well, you need the rest. Why? So that you can be refreshed. Why? Well, maybe so that you can have more energy for your family or for your kids. Why? Because that would be a good thing for you to do, to spend more time with your kids. Why is it a good thing to spend more time with your kids? Well, because it's right. Why? Because God. And everything comes back to that when we play that game. Why? Because God set it up this way. This is the world that he built. He made it in six days. He rested on the seventh. He lays it out as a pattern for us. And the further we get away from that pattern, the further we get away from God. He made it that way. The third reason we should keep the Sabbath is Sabbath is an end, not just a means. Sabbath is what we're heading for. Sabbath is the goal calls it here in this passage, the Sabbath is to the Lord your God. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. He set it up as this thing, this goal in and of itself. 
went on a vacation uh, last week for a few days up in Pine Top Lakeside area up in the White Mountains. We've been there the last four years, and uh, there's this little creek that we like to go to. And it's kind of part of the, it's like a tributary of the White River. Um, and so we, we go to this one spot, hardly see anyone, and uh, we love this place. And the last two years we've gone, we've decided to build dams in the creek, right? Because there's some part, I have three boys, there's some part of, you know, the, the four boys in the family, it's like, there's running water there, I should try to stop it, you know? Uh, and so it's just built into it. And so we start like uh, building these dams and the, and the guys really get into it. Of course, there's no way that we could actually do that. It's a big creek, um, but we try. And, uh, and so I, this year I really got into it. So I, I started helping the boys, you know, with the really big rocks and started moving rocks over and we created this little, you know, we couldn't like dam up the whole river. So we, so we just kind of made a little pool on the side and it took a lot of work. I was sweating, I was you know, hauling these huge rocks, and we succeeded in creating a little side pool just because it was a good thing to do. I mean, it was play, right? And you know, when you're in that, that vein of like, this is a thing that I'm doing, then time can stand still, right? And it's like, it's not, nothing else is going on. And the reason why we would do that is there is no good reason except for the end itself because it's a good thing to kind of slightly redirect a river in our hearts. I mean, it's a good thing, right? Now, I could talk about the side benefits of this a lot. I probably burned a lot of calories uh, doing that. And so maybe, maybe I lost a little weight by doing that. Uh, that might be a reason that you might do it. That's just kind of a side benefit. It's not the reason why I did it. I bonded with my boys. That was actually not even the intent necessarily, but it, it was good. It was a side benefit, and I loved doing that. I got to impress my wife by picking up these large rocks, right? Scratch that. Maybe I got to imagine that I was impressing my wife by picking up, and that imagination was like a good thing to me. It was like a side benefit, but really, I just wanted to build a dam in the river because that would be a good thing to do. And part of the relief of it, I think, is that it didn't have an end. You know what I mean? It didn't have this purpose beyond itself. It was just play. It just existed for that moment. And that's what almost made it good. Let me share with you a, uh, a pet peeve I have about people talking about the Sabbath and the rest. And rest in life. This is very common. The Sabbath as life hack. <laughs> Or even worse, as a productivity hack. When people say, oh, you should rest so you can get a lot more done, <laughs> right? You should really take a rest because as soon as you do, you'll get a lot more done. Now that's true. And we could talk about the benefits. The benefits are all things that God gives us, right? Just like burning calories, just like spending time with the boys. That wasn't my goal, but it, it, but it was good. And there are lots of good things about keeping the Sabbath. Guess what? Your emotional health will be better. There's no doubt about it. If you take one day in seven where you rest, your emotional health will improve. There's studies about all of these things. Your relationships will improve. Your sex life will improve. I mean, the people have done studies on these things. When you take a day off, this is good. You'll live longer. Did you know, on average... Seventh-day Adventists, a branch of the Christian church, live 10 years longer 
than the average American. Ten years longer. This is a sect of Christianity that mandates the Sabbath. They mandate it on Saturday. Now, they also mandate not drinking alcohol and not eating uh, meat. And so that might also have something to do with it as well. Um, but, you know, and about those prohibitions, you know, we're, we're not on the same page about prohibiting those things or, or, um, or necessarily saying Saturday is the day of rest. But take it for what it's worth. They, they Sabbath and they live 10 years longer. There's all these benefits. We could give historical examples. Marva Dawn in her book about the Sabbath gives the example of the Oregon Trail uh, prairie schooners. Those people were coming out west. And it was, shown to, it was shown that when those who took the Sabbath and didn't travel on Sundays actually got to their destinations faster. William Wilberforce, one of the, ones who's, who, one of the men who most single-handedly stopped the slave trade in England, he, he worked on Sundays for a while, and then he had to stop. And this is what he said, on that day, ambition is stunted, he said. And he did so much more than you'll ever do in your life, Right? But he took the Sabbath even when his enemies were not, and he won the day. It often leads to a better life, to Sabbath. It will most often lead to a better, more productive, more healthy life. And that's a good thing. But the Sabbath is an end in itself, it is a goal in and of itself. And there's kind of a side question with this. Does Christianity always improve your life? Does following God's word always improve your life? Most often, yes. There's all these benefits to living in the world the way that God created it to be. But what about the martyrs? Those who were killed for their faith. The moment they put their faith in Jesus, the moment they lived into the world the way that God created it, their lives were forfeit. And it's an important distinction. We don't follow God just for his benefits even though there are many benefits to following God. It sometimes leads to happiness, and sometimes it leads to suffering, and most often it leads to a combination of, the, of both. But it always leads to reality, and reality is always better to live into than non-reality. And that's what we believe about any law of God, any way to follow after God. It's always better to live in reality. And the Sabbath is a reality. It's an end of itself. It's the way that God designed the world. And it's not just an end to your week or the beginning of your week. It is the end. Hebrews 4 says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It is our future, the Sabbath. Now I believe that there's work in heaven, but in another sense, this is the greatest Sabbath that's coming. And in many ways, this six-day pattern is the pattern of the whole world. We're six days working. We're the first part of creation, and then there will be a rest in the end for eternity. A work and rest, but a rest that, over, that, that oversees it all. It's the pattern that God gave us. It's built into the world, and it's our future. And so the question is, do we live into it? Do we live into the pattern or do we live into extremes? Most of the time, we think in extremes. Here's a good example. I need a vacation. I need a vacation. I'm working too hard and now I need to relax really hard. That's a, that's a kind of extreme thinking. 
Is there anything wrong with taking a vacation? No, I just referenced that I did that last week, so I hope not, right? Otherwise, I'm very hypocritical up here. So, no, of course not. It's a gift. But this idea, I need a vacation. Uh, Brian Howard, he's a leadership coach. He said this, when people tell him, I need a vacation, he says to them, no, you don't. This is a leadership coach. (laughs) He says, no, you don't need a vacation. You need a life that you don't need a vacation from. And I think there is a lot of wisdom there. As Israelites, (laughs) they didn't take vacations, right? They lived into this rhythm. Now, it's an extra gift, of course, and it's beautiful, but they had Sabbaths and they had years of Jubilee. They followed the pattern when they were being faithful. They lived into this pattern. Do we live into the pattern? Or do we live into more extreme thinking? Whether it's work all the time or rest all the time that you desire, both of of those things are not the pattern that God gives us. So you can ask yourself, how am I engaged in that kind of extreme thinking and how much of my life reflects the pattern of God? Now You may be wondering, well, I don't know how to live that pattern. My my situation is unique. I work in this this scenario. I'm retired. How do I do this? And we're going to talk for just a few minutes about the how question. Not just the why you should take a Sabbath, but secondly, how. And again, there's three things as we close today I want us to see. Number one, with freedom, with freedom. This is what Jesus says about the Sabbath. And he said to them, verse 27 of Mark 2, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Freedom. You can't read the Gospels and think that Jesus was legalistic about keeping the Sabbath. In fact, whenever he had a chance, he fought with the Pharisees about it. It was his favorite argument to have with them. Why? Well, because the Pharisees were trying to follow the law, and here's what they meant by that. There was the moral law of God. We've talked about the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath. They saw that as a timeless truth. And then after that, there is the ceremonial and civil laws given after the Ten Commandments that talk about all the different ways that you should keep the Sabbath. There are regulations about picking up things on the Sabbath and traveling distances and that kind of thing in the scriptures. And then beyond that, the Pharisees had 39 categories of what they considered work that the scriptures had no category for, including uh, clipping your fingernails. So the Pharisees were trying to live into this law, not just the moral law that God gave, not just the explication of what that moral law might mean for Israel. They also had all of these other categories. And Jesus came in and he disrupted that whole thing. And he brought freedom to the Sabbath. How do we understand that? What Jesus did was with that tradition, those 39 things and all the different traditions that they brought, he rejected the tradition of man. And you should too. If there's some kind of burden placed on you that's not from the scriptures, you should reject that because we have the law of God and it's not that. He rejected those things. When it came to the civil and ceremonial laws, that little second order way of of keeping the Sabbath, here's what Jesus did. He fulfilled those. He rejected the rabbinic tradition. He fulfilled the civil and ceremonial laws. And then what did he do with the moral law of God? He obeyed it. He kept it on our behalf. And to give us freedom. And so if you're not free, 
in your rest. You're not being biblical with your rest. There are exceptions to keeping the Sabbath, of course. The Bible talks about where there's great need or great responsibility that's required of us. And so the pattern can be disrupted and we should not feel burdened about that. The Sabbath is for you and so it's totally appropriate for you to think about how is it that I rest well? How can I rest better? It's not a taskmaster. It's given for us. So number one, it's with freedom. Secondly though, How do we keep the Sabbath with intentionality? With intentionality. The Sabbath never happens by accident. We never accidentally rest well. You have to make a plan. And as I said, everybody's situation is unique. Everybody's work is unique. Retirement's unique. There's all these different things. But the thing that that ties together this command for everyone is that one in seven should be different. It should be different. It should be set apart. It should be different physically. He says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. So it should look different physically. Now, I've heard people say before, hey, those that work in a lot of mental professions, they they rest well by doing something physical, right? And those who work in physical professions, they they rest well by doing something mental. I think there's a lot of truth to that. And so it's different. Whatever you're normally engaged in, you do it differently physically. It's also different mentally, because we all know this. We can be at work, or we can be at home, and we can be at work at home, in our heads. It's when your spouse comes to you and says, I feel like when you're not home, when you're at home, you're not home. I feel like you're more alive when you're out there. Whether it's your husband or your wife, we know this thing, and the studies show, it's clear, that when you're thinking about work, It's the same thing, it's the same process as actually being at work. And so we have to think of of a different of our one day and seven different mentally. Also, I think we have to add here different technologically, because our work is so tied to our technology. It's hard to have one without the other. And again, there's freedom here. It's not chapter and verse, but I think for most Christians, we're not going to be able to Sabbath well without some different view of technology. One day in seven, a break from screens. A.J. Soboda, he's an author, he wrote a book called uh, Subversive Sabbath, which is a great book. And he uses Mark chapter 3, verse 4, um, where Jesus says you know, to the Pharisees, he's fighting with them, and he says, is, is it lawful to, to give a life or to save a life or to take a life on the Sabbath? And he uses that and he says this for his intentionality. What he asks himself is this question. Is the thing that I'm doing today life-giving or life-taking? Because if it's life-taking, we intentionally root it out on the Sabbath. This is a day to be different with freedom, with intentionality, and finally, with Jesus. Our focus today has been on uh, rest because we've been talking about work. But of course, the Sabbath is about worship as well. That's what our catechism says. It says that's what, that's what the Sabbath is for. It's for rest and worship. And why would that be the case? Because in our hearts, rest and worship are connected. It's just true. They are connected. Our hearts are working or they are resting. 
And here's the truth that I want us to close with. The only way that you can truly rest is to believe that all of your striving for acceptance is over. We can take a day off. We can rest from our work. But the question that you need to ask yourself as well is, is there some kind of heart rest going on as well? Because you might be able to force yourself to take a day off, but then the, the next day you might be right back at it. Back at what? At pursuing over and over again, striving for that promotion, for that, that raise, for that recognition, for that vacation. You're going to strive towards these things, and your heart is moving and working. And if your heart continues to work, even on the Sabbath, you will eventually get tired and you will not live into the biblical pattern because what God gives us is a way that we can cease from our striving even internally. And what is that way? It's through Jesus. Because He is able to give us the gift of resting from our works. Look what Hebrews says. He says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And so you have this beautiful symmetry of God creating the world in six days and he rests on the seventh. He says it is finished. This creation is good. It is finished and he rests. Jesus arrives on the scene. He works. I am working and my father is working till now, Jesus said. He works. He lives. He's obedient to the moral law of God. He works for the six days, so to speak, of his life. And then, as he's crucified, he says, it is finished. And he rests in the grave. And now, Hebrews tells us, if you enter into God's rest, you then can say the same thing to your own heart. It is finished. I don't have to have all of those things to be good, to be happy, to be acceptable. I don't have to keep striving over and over and over again for these things. Why? Because I have everything I need in Jesus Christ. And if your heart doesn't sing with rest, and when you hear Jesus and what he has done for you, then you are still working. And you won't reach the destination that you want or you need to reach because what you need to reach is perfection and ultimate fulfillment and you will not have that in and of yourself. The only way you can say it is finished in your own heart is to trust that Jesus has done it for you. That he has purchased that rest. That he has accomplished that work. The work that you couldn't do. In all of your striving, you're not able. You're not able to do what you need to to actually rest. But Jesus is able to do what you need to do to actually give you rest. And he gives that as a gift to those who trust in him. And so we can cease from our striving and in our hearts proclaim him as the king. And then, both in time now, both in this service today and this week and next Sunday, but also for eternity, we can rest in what he has done for us. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, that there remains a Sabbath for us. There remains what our hearts long for, longings that, as C.S. Lewis said, 
they're not found here, then it must mean that we're made for something else. And we know that we're made for eternity. As your word says, eternity has been built into our hearts. And this desire to cease from striving for eternity is ours in Jesus Christ. I pray that you would help us to lay hold of that promise today. If we are believers in Jesus, that we would trust again that you have accomplished everything for us. And that whatever it is that we are worried about and stressed about, you control and, and you are the one who, will, who provide what we need. And for those who have not put, placed their trust in you, I pray that you would show, them, show yourself to them as the true rest, as the way that they can cease from their striving. I pray that you would help us as we come to the table to be fed again by what Jesus has done for us. In his name, amen.